So, we're entering into a new series, which is nice, because we all like novelty and new things. What we're actually going to do is we're going to do a series of 15 new series and just start a new one every week. But they're actually actually just one series, but we're just going to tell you that they're a new series every week, so it's all exciting every week. Pretty good, eh? Um, this series is looking at a line from the Lord's Prayer that has always been a bit weird to me. I feel like I get most of them, but there's one line in there which, especially as a kid, I never really knew what to do with because it didn't seem to apply. And that line, I know the tension's killing you. Look at you, seeking it out. Ooh, place pick now. Which one's it going to be? The line is, give us today our daily bread. Who got it? Yes. Good. Great minds and simpletons also think alike. You choose. Give us today our daily bread. What do you think when you hear this phrase? Callan thinks of a bakery, cat, brioche. Very bougie bread. (laughs) What else do people think when they hear this phrase? It's the stuff you need to live each day. Cool. We we need to hear your voice over a microphone, sorry. Oh, that's all right. It's just your voice is way nicer than Morrick's. No kidding. This is lovely. Okay, thank you. Um yeah, the not so much the daily bread, but the the sense of give us today is a sort of very very grounding. It feels like very it's very present. You know, or is it just picks up on um all the stuff that I thought Jesus is talking about, about, you know, it's central, it's today, it's not tomorrow, it's now. Cool. Has anyone else got any pearls of wisdom? They don't have to be wise. It, um, I automatically think that that doesn't apply to me because I've already got my daily stuff, like I'm not going to feed my audience. That's exactly why I always find it very hard. I automatically think of that line in Matthew where Jesus is like, man doesn't live on bread alone. And it makes me be like, well, I'm a Newton bitter. Um, But it also makes me be like, okay, bread is not necessarily just bread. Sounds pretty fresh if it's daily. Mine's just in the freezer. It's not very fresh. Good. Holding up treasures in the freezer, as the verse goes in my Bible. Today's modern version. Uh, it makes me wonder why some people get bread and some don't in this world of ours. Mm. Anyone else? Exhausted. We're going to the crumbs. 
crumbs of wisdom. To me, these, much like Veronique, are strange words in a context where most of us, for the most part, don't worry about needing bread all that often. Most of us, most of the time, have plenty of bread. We can get our own bread. (laughs) Daily bread isn't even a necessity with preservatives and Anna's freezer and salada crackers, which are great. Love a salada. In so many ways, our lives are very far removed from first century Palestinian subsistence farmers. Asking for bread for us seems a little bit silly. Because I think our default position, if we really think about it, is that when it comes down to it, we don't actually need God for bread. So it's much easier to kind of like spiritualize the same, which I think like is within the realms of possibility. I think there's some gold in that. But our struggle with the kind of concrete asking God for actual bread idea, I think says something about us. To us, bread is primarily a commodity. Bread, like all commodities, is a matter of supply and demand, an issue of scarcity. For most of us, we have enough of this commodity. Those of us who are privileged with resources, asking a divine power for bread (laughs) seems really silly and unnecessary. I think about asking if I was actually genuinely playing this prayer as a prayer and saying, God, give me bread today. I'd feel a bit silly because I don't really think about bread that way. Ultimately, in our minds, bread comes from our labor. And so does just about everything else. We have bread because we work. We have bread because of us. We are all we need. But what's the cost of this way of being? The sense of independence. Does it have a kicker? Is Jesus' prayer totally irrelevant for us and in need of updating? Is this a prayer only for poor people? for agrarian farmers in doubt, let alone getting into, how, uh, into um, asking how effective a prayer for bread actually is. What we'd like to do in this series is look at the way that we think about bread and the things we need and whether it has an effect on our whole person, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people. If bread and everything else like it is just a commodity that we secure because we work, then what does that make of our lives? How do we see ourselves? What does that say for those of us with diminished abilities? It's interesting to me how busy busy we are for people who have enough bread. Despite our privilege, our abilities, our affluence, we still scramble a lot like people who don't know where their next meal is coming from. 
one of our jobs as a community is to think about scripture and light of our neighborhood and our context. And North Fitzroy is a very, very busy place. It's a really busy place. The inner north could be called the inner side projects because to have any kind of street cred whatsoever, you need at least eight side projects all getting in the way of each other. If you just do the one thing, it's very beige. So if you ask our community how they are on most days, you'll hear exasperated sighs, I'm busy, oh, busy, exhausted, overwhelmed, I've got too much going on, I really need to stop that band so the other bands can get some time. I'm playing catch-up. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. It's all go. I'm really trying to carve out some me time. And it's funny, considering we have most of our basic needs met, that rest is such a difficult discipline. And there's lots of good things about that. But it does ask the question about where does this incessant drive come from? That for most of us, we struggle to place boundaries down. Is there some kind of core anxiety inside us that makes rest so scary? I'd argue that a lot of this activity has to do with where where we think bread comes from. At its root, this anxiety comes from the pressure of believing that everything we have is generated by us. All of the world is a commodity to be earned. Therefore, we live with a fear of inactivity. It's almost hardwired. Nothing is a gift. Dependence is a weakness. Vulnerability is a frightening concept. Ultimately, the only thing that can be trusted is is our own ability to care for ourselves. Out of that confidence and fear, we struggle to set limits on our activity. On the flip side, if all of the world is a commodity to be earned, then the only thing limiting what we can have is how hard we're willing to work. There is no limit to our ability to grasp. More is just a small effort away. So why not grab it? This prayer was evoked by a question from the disciples saying, how how do we pray? And Jesus responded with this prayer. He was trying to teach us something about God and something about ourselves. This phrase, our daily bread, is rich to the people who he was talking to. It referenced something deep in Israel's history. When they were wandering around the desert after being freed from slavery in Egypt, there was something about that experience that Jesus wanted us to learn from and about how to relate to God, what kind of God God is, and what kind of world we actually live in. So we're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. We're going to go to Exodus 8, verse 1 to 4 to set the scene. And um, 
if someone can read along, that would be really, really cool. Do, do, do. Look up there. Um, is anyone happy to read two PowerPoint pages of scripture? So this is kind of giving Israel um, the story of Israel um, pre-leaving Egypt. Exodus 1, 8, 14. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and the war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. They will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Python and Ramesses as supply supply centers for the king. But more, the, the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became, became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. So... You've got a group of people who had an identity as a nation and then kind of ended up semi-assimilating with the Egyptian nation and then becoming enslaved. And for generations, all they'd known is this brutal, brutal slavery. And the Bible talks about how they cried out in pain and their God heard their cries, and delivered them from Egypt. And you can have a look at, if you're not familiar with the story, you can have a look at the story yourself in Exodus. Um, it's pretty exciting. There's lots of very gory things going on. Uh, but at the end of the day, anyway, um, God, through a series of crazy things happening, leads them out of Egypt, and the slave people are set free. And we'll join them on the edge of the desert. Is anyone happy to read this one? When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, that might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Zokoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of or cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. 
Cool. So this is all very exciting for Israel. Finally, their prayers have been answered. They've been set free. They're slaves no longer. And God leads them out into the desert. Yay. And there was much rejoicing. They're led out of generations of slavery in Egypt. And they find themselves in the wilderness. Let's imagine for a moment that we are Israel. Let's imagine that it's us that find ourselves after generations of slavery on the edge of the desert. How might we be feeling about the coming days? What mix of emotions would it invoke? What hopes and fears? We're going to do a a quick whip around, and you can just say how you might be feeling. I'd be like, I'll just stay. This looks much too hard. I'll just stay. This is really fine. Cat's choosing brutal slavery. Good. Yeah. What are their emotions? Hopes, fears. I don't like the heat. You don't like the heat? Would you rather, rather be making bricks as well? So Kat and Josh are staying. Very poor attitude after God went to all that work. I'm a planner, so I definitely want to know what was the long term, you know, the long game here. <laughs> you know, as, as long as I knew that, then, you know, maybe it'd be okay. But if you were just there with no knowledge of what's going on, yeah, pretty worried. Worried. Need a timeline. Thinking this camel looks pretty um, yummy right now. And it just ate a one camel. I feel like I'm one of those annoyingly optimistic people and people that's just always really happy to go, eh, we'll work it out. What's the worst that could happen? And so I feel like I'd be one of those people just going, oh, I'm not making bricks. This is fine. And getting annoyed at all the people going, oh, we're all going to die. It's like, well, maybe we will, but we're not, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Alan's probably more deeply in touch with the reality of slavery and how, how, how difficult it is. You know, the kind of like whistle while we work. making bricks. It's not like that. It's not like that, guys. It's horrible. I think it's a total test of faith, just straight up. He's leading us into the desert. Um, do you believe or don't you? And you have to jump off that cliff of faith. That's how I'd see it. Definitely. Anyone on the far side? I, want, I need to get my steps up. You're just on the far side, Sam. Marginal. Marginal seat. Could go either way. Um, I feel the same. I think it's definitely a test of faith. Um, but, uh, you know, if God really did part the Red Sea to get the Israelites out, I think that would give me a certain level of faith anyway. Yeah, cool. Anyone else before we reclose the microphone? One of the first questions something I'd have is where is our food coming from? As a uh, person with a fast metabolism, <laughs> this is always on my mind. I get hypoglycemic very quickly and then want to vomit, which is really annoying when you're actually so hungry that you have to eat because it come, kind of becomes a closed cycle. So... I kind of shut down very fast if I have food. So 
there is this massive mix of joy at finally being set free, this opening up of your world that you're no longer a slave. Your parents were slaves. Your children are slaves. Your grandparents were slaves. Your great-grandparents were slaves. All you've ever known is slavery. And there's this whole new possibility of freedom. But freedom to what? Here we are out in the desert. Thank God there's a pillar of fire, literally. Thank God there's a pillar of fire because it's cold and we're hungry. And God invites Israel to go and pick up bread off the ground that he's going to drop every night. The fairy bread mother will come every night in the middle of the night and sprinkle bread around and get up in the morning and eat it. That doesn't sound like a very secure strategic plan for me. So there's something of enormous vulnerability in this place. And there's rules attached to that bread that you can't gather more than one day's worth or it'll turn to maggots. (laughs) Again, such an incredibly vulnerable space. Israel had been part of a system that gave them security. And as demeaning and oppressive as it was, there was something safe in it. Now they found themselves unable to work for their food. Think about this. Generations of work, 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 work. And suddenly, they can't work. Exciting, yes. Terrifying, also. What was God trying to teach them here? What was it that they had to learn? How was God revealed as different to the gods of Egypt? The idea that ultimately the source of bread might be God's generosity, not their ability, is a provocative one. And it's a provocative one for us too. But it might just change a lot for a burned out, oversaturated, frantic neighborhood like Fitzroy North. Could this view of the world slowly change how we live our lives and how we relate to one another? Could how we think about bread and where it comes from change how we relate to God? Before we get too far into this, let's remember that it's at least as important to talk to God as it is to talk about him. And the context of this phrase, our daily bread, is in a response to a question from the disciples asking about how to pray and what posture to take with God. So we're going to pray together to begin the series as we dwell on um, what this phrase, what this posture of dependence might teach us and might do for us. Before we do, I'm going to sing a song. Um, I've never been much of a singer until... I've had to settle a baby. And what you find out when you're trying to settle a baby that's not sleeping is that you don't know anything beyond the first words of any nursery rhyme you've ever heard of. Like none. So very popular is This Little Light of Mine, and it just kind of goes on loop. I sing that a lot. 
Twinkle, twinkle, little star, the I don't know anything beyond what you are. And then the tune becomes the same tune as ABCD and Old MacDonald as well. Are they the same? Yes. I thought I was singing it wrong. My go-to, I'm not sure why, um, is Wheels on the Bus. Because it's, kind of, it's quite adaptable. And the problem with singing this for like an hour at a time when your back is like spasming and crying out, Hemi will only settle at night time. Um, he chooses the most uncomfortable posture and a 45 degree angle out like, he weighs seven and a half kgs and he's a 45 degree angle out like that and one arm there and you lock the other hand under here and then you have to bounce him. So if you're ever wondering what I'm doing, this is what I do for hours on end. But I feel so light. It's amazing. Um, good, good calves. And in that excruciating agony of a back that's already bad and is getting worse, and knee tendons that just click nonstop, they love a little like sound when you're doing it too, which just keeps you keeps your time. Um, I sing, <laughs> I sing um, wheels on the bus a lot, and I've got wheels on the bus go round and round. Windscreen wipers go swish swish swish. I've got children go ha ha ha, and then after that, it's like all my own words. And I find pretty quickly I descend in this kind of despair cycle into kind of like begging, kind of like, dear little Hemi, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Please, little Hemi, you're killing me. Daddy's back is broken. And so like I really quickly (laughs) descend into, it gets more and more bitter and desperate as the hours go on. So instead, I try and like sing lots of like you know things about how kindness matters and how loved he is and how safe he is and things. But then eventually, that like just gets stuck in a cycle as well of kind of saccharine. I, I don't want to creep him out. So I end up just singing about whatever is going on in my head. And so when I'm like thinking about doing talks and things, Sometimes that comes out. So I wrote one. I I sang, found myself at four thirty a.m. this morning singing singing this one. Um, so I'm going to share it with you because it's um, quite profound. Do you know? I need to jump. Do you know where your bread comes from? Your bread comes from. Your bread comes from. He doesn't. Do you know where your bread comes from, my little Hemi? We all know that our bread comes from work. Our bread comes from work. Our bread. I can't always like track the rhythm that well, so I kind of like things get a little bit squeezed. Um, but they used to do it in their, like Christmas carols. They just put like apostrophes everywhere where they can't fit stuff. So psh, good enough for them. Good enough for me. We all know that a brick comes from work. A brick comes from work. Bread comes from work. We all know that bread comes from work. My little hammy. But Jesus said that bread comes from God. Bread comes from God. Bread comes from God. Jesus said that bread comes from God. How strange is that? Jesus said that bread comes from God. How naive, how silly. We can get our own bread all by ourselves. But what if this makes us fear and scramble and chase and trample others? What if this is born of fear? Maybe he's onto something. And that's where my song ends.
Eat that rod and you dumb ukulele. Acapella. So next week Rod will be here with like one of those kick drums, keyboard, kazoo thing. Yeah. Um what if this view of bread is driven by arrogance and fear? What if this view of bread, as naive and silly as an alternative seems, makes us scramble and chase and trample others? What if it reflects a Darwinian universe that is actually dog-eat-dog and is soulless and is empty, and that God, somewhere from beyond, is inviting us into a universe of grace and provision. What if so many of our anxieties stem from how we view the world? We're going to eat and drink together. There are emblems just in here. And so just slowly, I'd like to invite you to come and just stand around the table together and cracker, cracker, um, and don't eat and drink yet, because I'll say a prayer and then we'll eat and drink. Um, but we're going to gather and stand together and um, eat some bread in a moment. Um, some daily bread. And let God speak to us in this. So feel free to stand. If you don't want to partake, you definitely don't have to. You can still come and stand as well. Um, <laughs> I should be sitting by yourself and, you know, that might be a bit obvious. So feel free to partake or not. But if you'd like to... Um, I'd like to invite you to come and grab a piece of cracker and a small symbol of juice. Let's pray. Our daily bread. Such strange words. Foreign to our ears and our understanding. Loving God, teach us to lean into you. Many of us have been burned by naive forms of dependence and faith, but at the same time, sense something. We sense your call to something deeper. If you're inviting us beyond independence, give us the courage to learn what it is to trust in your provision. You have called us your children, so we ask you to gently guide us beyond the safety of trusting only ourselves and to show us what it is to trust in you. As your beloved, may we know your love and your care in the process. Give us this day.